welcome back to another episode of Caught Looking at Baseball podcast, uh, hosted by myself, Max Greenfield, and my co-host, Ryan Garcia. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Rob Orr of Baseball Prospectus. We go in deep about analyzing for the future, his statistic, Seeger, and some Phillies talk as well, and some other random tidbits around baseball. It's a very fun conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy. And we are back joined by Rob Orr, a writer for Baseball Perspectives. Rob, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How about you? Doing all right. Happy to have you on. I mean, super excited. You know, new metric out and everything that's been the wave and super fascinating. And I can't wait to break it down with you. But well, glad you brought me on. Of course. Uh, but first, uh, I want to talk to you about your Phillies. Uh, unfortunately couldn't make it back to the world series played a great nlcs though it was really exciting series uh started off the off season really hot by bringing back aaron nola thoughts on bringing him back and what do you think the phillies need to do in the off season to have a successful winner uh so nola's like really frustrating at times uh you know he's give like five great innings and then he gives up like three home runs in the sixth inning and ends the game with six innings and four runs or something but um bringing him back I ultimately was pretty happy with it because it would have been really difficult to replace 180 to 200 above average to sometimes very good innings like every year and that's what he gives you um looking around the free agent market like I just don't know if you could get that from anyone else out there and they were talking about replacing with like like smell or something and I think that would have been just like a disaster you couldn't have like two more opposite <laughs> pitchers um so i think it was probably a good thing they they got their rotation already set which i'm i don't know how many teams have their rotation set before the winter meetings even but um as far as the rest of the offseason goes a real problem last year was uh all of their right-handed hitters were extremely free swinging like all of the patient hitters on the team were lefties and all the righties just were chasing all the time. Castellanos, Turner, Bohm sometimes, Johan Rojas. And that all that like eventually got them out in the NLCS. And they were missing a patient right-handed bat with power, which sounds a lot like Reese Hoskins. But um they they need to find somebody who can do that. It doesn't necessarily have to be Hoskins, but it has to be like a Reese Hoskins type of bat from the right hand side, probably. That's what I would consider a successful offseason. I always thought Hoskins was like underrated in terms of the fit with that lineup. It, he was a good hitter. I, he is an objectively very good hitter, but I thought he fit that team really well at every point because it was just, all right, here's this guy in the middle of your lineup who will work a walk and hit 30 bombs a year, which is extremely valuable. Yeah. They, they have to find some way to replace that. It didn't notice it for most of the second half of last year, because like everyone seemed like they were hot at the same time, especially once Bryce Harper got hot. Yeah. It was really noticeable early in the year when Bryce wasn't hitting balls out of the park that like, hey, a lot of these righties are <laughs> very streaky. They get themselves out really fast. Castellanos is like a roller coaster. Um, yeah. That was very noticeable. Uh, and it, it got more noticeable as the playoffs progressed. 
Yeah. And, you know, I actually had a question about, you know, the decision to move Harper to first base, which effectively eliminates a return or at the time, I, I believe there was a report that basically there was a conversation that uh, Hoskins was probably not going back to Philly. Who do you think fits best for Hoskins in the free agent market? Uh, and were you in favor of the decision to move Harper to first base? I think it probably made sense given the rest of the roster construct to not extend him for multiple years. Like you can't sign like three or four DH types to long-term big money contracts. Um, they're moving Bryce to first. Ideally he wouldn't already be a first baseman at this point in that contract, but they're doing it to try and save his arm. And he was really good defensively when he did move there. So it's probably the right long-term move. Like you can't, you can't have Kyle Forber playing in the field every day. It's he's single-handedly dragged deep down to like a bottom 10 defensive ranking and all the stats. He's a disaster. Um, so yeah, they, I think it was probably the right call. It just kind of sucks. I really liked Reese Hoskins as, as a player and as a person, he's a really, really good dude. Um, so yeah, it was probably the right call. I think, uh, you also asked about what teams he would fit on. Um, my personal favorite, and you guys probably won't enjoy hearing this, but I think he'd be a really good fit in Toronto, uh, as like a Brandon Belt replacement. And they had some trouble with left-handed hitters last year or left-handed pitchers, I mean. And he really mashes against those. And I think he would bring a little bit of balance to that lineup uh, there. He is a good fit in Toronto because they severely lacked, like, a, I mean, they wanted Vladimir Guerrero to be it, and he obviously struggled immensely. But, I mean, they severely lacked that middle of war pop. And Brandon Belt's good. I think he's a good player. He just is not a guy who you can rely on for 25 to 35 home runs. And that's what they kind of needed. Yeah, like Reese. Like in belt, like also is definitely a platoon bat at this point. Reese could play every day. Um, another another good team, I think he'd be a really good fit on. They seem like they're kind of semi serious about spending a lot of money. They they have been recently. Is the Cubs? I think he'd be a really good fit on the Cubs. Um, just they need more thump in that order. They tried out. They tried like everybody at first base last year. Trey Mancini didn't work. They seem to have soured on Matt Mervis without ever really giving him a extended look, but. You know, that happens. So if they want to go forward with that, and it seem like they're winning now, then Reese Hoskins would fit really well in the Cubs lineup too. Yeah, I mean, a consistent, I just pulled up his numbers, man, in his four full seasons, 34, 29, 27, 30 home runs, 128, 112, 127, 122. Just super consistent. Just you know what you're going to get. And yeah, he's like a 125 OPS plus like every year. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty remarkable how, how good he is. I do like that fit in the Cubs. They've been rumored to be attached to him too, if I remember correctly. I think so. So I could I could totally see that. And that's a that's a good ballpark for him too. I mean, balls, you know, they don't I don't I don't know what it is on righty pole power and stuff, but I'm, I imagine Wrigley's grading out close to average, if maybe not slightly above average. I think it depends on the wind, probably, but he's not like a wall scraper type of power. No. He's he's it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so it, it shouldn't be too much of a factor. And then he would, you know, trips to Cincy and stuff. He would just eat. <laughs> yes. Cincinnati signed Emilio Pagan. What was it? Two days ago or yesterday? Two days. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and like he's good. I'm not debating that Emilio Pagan isn't good. He's a good pitcher, but it's just like, oh, you're gonna bring. Uh, a fly ball reliever that you yeah. want to be in high leverage into that ballpark. 
it's not the best fit I've ever heard. <laughs> right. Good luck. I get, I mean, it's, you know, as I told somebody else, it's like, it's not like a lot of pitchers are good fits there, but he's not high on the list of like good fits there. I would have gone after like a sinker baller or something if I could have. Right. Of that, but... I agree. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Corey Seager, or I should say the stat Seager. Now you came up with the they came up with the name sort of in the article. I thought that was really funny when you were talking with two uh, baseball prospectus and friend of the pod, Jarrett Seidler, and uh, overall editor Craig Goldstein. They came up with the name for it, but it's really inspired by Corey Seager's ability to make just really great swing decisions at both not chasing and hitting pitches he can handle in the zone. Talk us through the process of coming up with the statistic what you learned from it and what really stands out from the results. Um, yeah. So like swing decision modeling has been like my, my little white whale for a while. Uh, like when I first came on a BP, I wrote this piece about like bad decisions where it was trying to measure a guy's individualized hot zone and whether they were making good choices according to that. And it didn't really track as well as I wanted it to. Um, like when I went to test it at the end of the year, it wasn't like uh, this, you know, correlates to I wanted to to correlate to quality of contact and the guy's performance and it didn't really perform like the same as like chase rate and stuff but I've been trying to work out a better way to measure that for uh, since then it's like a year and a half and it came up with Seeger recently um using a lot of the same methods but it's not tailored to each guy individually it maps out like the strike the strike zone by counts and it takes into a it's like a cost benefit thing where it takes into account the cost of like swinging versus not swinging and that was something i didn't calculate before um but once i did that and tracked like how many decisions basically a guy was making that was good versus how many were bad it it tracked with isolated slugging really really well um better than I expected it to, uh, to the point where like, I've been like looking like, okay, is it, am I including something I shouldn't in here or something like that? What mistake did I use? But it's, it's done really well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just trying to make, it's trying to measure like selective aggression where a guy just doesn't let a pitcher steal strikes against them and also doesn't give away strikes basically. Um, but it's not just balls and strikes. It's, you know, closer to the center of the zone, the more power you get and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's performed pretty well. Uh, I'm exploring it some more. I would still like to make it like individualized to like where a guy performs well in the zone or, or how much power they have, because if a guy has little power, they should probably be swinging less to be more picky. And if a guy has more power, they should go ahead and swing away. But uh, as of right now, it's, it's in a pretty good place. I, it was one of the, let me, uh, we'll link it in, in the tweet. And let me just say, it was one of the most fascinating offensive analysis pieces I've ever read in my life. It, you truly did tremendous work with that. Oh, thank you. Um, um, the guys at the top of the leaderboard, as you said, you know, are the guys you would expect, right? Like the Aaron Judges, the Jordans, and the Corey Seegers of the world and everything like that. But was there a name that surprised you on both the top or the bottom where you were like, oh, that really caught me off guard? Uh, the one that my editor pointed out, I think it was like top five or something. It's like Emmanuel Rivera, <laughs> but um, it kind of makes sense. This is something that will happen sometimes where like a guy you don't think of as a good hitter 
rates really well in a plate discipline or something metric. And you think about it, it's like, okay, if this guy has like no power, something is keeping him in, he keep, ah, sorry, keeping him in the league and just always making the right decision is one way that a guy can do that. And I think that might be the case with Rivera. He's got a pretty decent, you know, bats ball ability. Um, never, never going to hit like 30 home runs or something, but that was just a little bit of an interesting name to see at the top of the list. Um, trying to think of who was at the bottom. I don't, I don't know anyone off the top of my head that really stood out for being terrible. Well, actually, Bryson Stott was among the worst. Um, and that's kind of interesting because before I was looking at it, I didn't have that perception of him. Like, I, I've watched him all year, obviously, and he does take a lot of pitches down down in the strike zone. And uh, part of that was this year he was trying to be more selective against high fastballs because it ate him up last year. And it worked for him to not attack those um, and get himself out this year, but he did, as a result, let a lot of hittable pitches go by. And that's something he could work on improving future, I think. Yeah, and, you know, kind of adding on a little bit to, you know, you had talked about, um, you know, your first attempt at, play, at making a plate discipline metric and how it didn't really uh, correlate the way you wanted it to. Um, you know, I, I think failure is part of baseball. I think anybody, any player, like that's a cliche, but I think it's true. Um, and, you know, uh, entering the 2023 season, you know, everybody has the players that they're high on, the players that they're low on, whatever it may be. Who would you say was your biggest hit of the 2023 season? And who would you say is your biggest miss of the season? And what parts of your process were either reinforced or questioned by those outcomes? Um, yeah, so I, I play a lot of a lot of fantasy, and uh, I, I was pretty high on a couple of guys that really paid off. Um, three that were on a, a lot of my teams were Nolan Gorman, Nolan Jones, and Jonah Heim. I thought they all like hit the ball better than their results indicated a year ago. So I had I had them on a bunch of teams that that worked out pretty well. I think they all had pretty strong seasons, especially like Nolan Jones down the stretch just was a monster somehow. Um, as far as failures, uh, you just have to dig up a predictions tweet of mine from uh, before the season. I, I had the Cardinals winning it all, <laughs> which was didn't it didn't work out too well. I think uh, part of my error there was I didn't think the new rules were going to have as big of an impact on their pitching staff in like balls and play as it did. I think that team was really built to where they could position defenders perfectly on this and. When they lost that ability, it just killed their staff. Could get swing and miss, and that killed them. Um, obviously, I mean, I still think the lineup's pretty good, but yeah, they their pitching staff was a disaster. So that was probably my biggest miss, I think. And they filled it with Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn, and Sonny Gray. I though I do actually really like the Sonny Gray signing. I should I should say that like I actually really like that signing. I I mean they're apparently not out done with starting pitching, but I have to say when they started with kyle gibson and lance lance lynn first and then kyle gibson oh man it was looking mighty bleak for a bit there yeah it's kind of like they were like we just need to get any starting pitchers and it was just like no i'm not sure learning the curve with them. they said they needed to get like swing and miss this year I remember Zeliak gave some kind of quote about that and to have lance lynn and kyle gibson be your first names after that is kind of kind of disheartening it was there. Were, there were lots of upset Cardinals fans after oh, the Gibson, yeah. after the Gibson the uh, the, the list. What is the yeah at Cardinals Reeks list I, of like I saw that too. Oh, I won't watch and he had two of the names. He was just like, "Who's next?" Um, 
But no, I mean, Sonny Gray was good. Uh, you mentioned Nolan Jones. If you haven't watched uh, MLB puts out, you know, like the best outfield assists every year. And it's literally just like Brenton Doyle and Nolan Jones throws from the outfield. It's okay. like 95% of what, of what those highlights are. It's actually uh, so funny. But moving on to 2024, when we talked about 2023, who are some players that you like for the next year? And you kind of talked about it with Jones and Gorman and Heim that they're, you know, they were hitting the ball better than the results said. Walk us through what you mean by that and like the process behind that as well. Um, yeah, so for me, like when I'm looking at hitters, everything starts with like quality of contact, the ability to do damage on on contact. Um, I just think that's where the impact comes from. It's really hard to be a star if you can't hit for power. Like you can talk all you want about not striking out and all that. And that is that does factor in, but you need to be able to get the extra base hits nowadays. Um, it's just too hard to string together singles as a team. Um when you can't get the extra base hits, it's like you just it's like trying to play basketball without being able to shoot threes against the team is the way that this is a comparison I always make. Like it's just a math problem. You can't beat it. Um so yeah, like uh I'll just look at quality of contact. Um and then from there, once it's like okay, this guy meets a certain threshold, he can do it. That's when I look at like the contact, the uh quantity of contact and the decisions they make. And like are they gonna put the ball in play enough? to actually get to this power. Um, and yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of educated guesses from there. Uh, you know, if a guy has like a 38% strikeout rate or they they whiff 40% on all the secondaries they see, it's like, mm, don't know about that. Um, you got to really hit the ball hard to make up for that. But that's generally the process I go through. I try to sort by that. Um, if you wanted to think about some guys I was or hear about some guys I might be high on next year, um, I really love Christian Encarnacion Strands. Like I really love him. I think he's gonna have a monster year. I uh I would also guess if he's healthy, Riley Green might get like down ballot VP votes if I could make like a bold prediction there. I really like Riley Green. That's a I like that take. He was really good this year for the Tigers when he played. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people uh, really caught on to that how good he was. He's got everything you could want. Health has been a has been a problem for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a problem again this year. But I mean, he is only he turns twenty. He just turned twenty three, so he is extremely young. But I mean, I think before the injury that kind of like slowed him down, he did have like a one forty WRC plus at one point, if I remember correctly. Like he was balling out for a bit but even then i really like that tigers team (laughs) yeah you wrote that you wrote that article about how much you like that team there's some some dudes on on that team um and then signing a kenta maeda i thought that was a really really smart move for them just a a guy who you can kind of play in a swingman role if you want to who's had success in that but like that's the kind of move that they should be making right Right, definitely. I think they need a lot more innings, though. That might be the most injury-prone rotation that there is in baseball. They need to get some innings. They should be signing, like, Lance Lynn or Kyle Gibson or something. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because the perfect pitcher is the guy who, left, who might leave, I guess, Erod, right? Like, he's yeah. a perfect pitcher for them, and he might not go back. Uh, but that was a weird situation there in uh, in Detroit for him. But, yeah, I mean – 
I do really like Riley Green. That's that's I I like that pick. I'm I'm on that one. Put your put your bets down now, Riley Green, AL MVP. I like it. And you know, uh, kind of playing off a little bit as to like, you know, you talked about the importance of quality of contact, which I 100% agree with. I think way too many people try to complicate that. And obviously, there's like the you know anti like exit velocity is like the worst thing ever, whatever it may be. But uh, I, yeah, no, I think I think that's more. I, I would like to I'd like to believe uh, in a perfect world that's more of just a social media thing than an actual. I don't. I hope not as many people in the real world like genuinely hate exit velocity and stuff like that that much, but. What would you say is the most like game changing adva- advancement, like in the public sphere, at the very least, for like baseball analytics or like information how we perceive players? Uh, I would have to go with like the uh, the TrackMan and Statcast and Hawkeye cameras we got in like 2015 that gave us that data. I mean, you got like all the batted ball traits, all the pitch data you could ever want. I mean, the, the Hawkeye stuff they introduced in 2020 is how everyone picked up on seam shift at wake pretty much. And that's been one of the bigger advancements in pitching uh, analysis since then. Um, so yeah, I would think it's just like access to that very granular, extremely detailed data on play-by-play or pitch-by-pitch. Uh, all that information being available is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, no, and I mean, I know that it came out for AAA this past season. I wonder what the expansion looks like for the minor leagues going forward because, I mean, the point, the day we get AA data, I think is going to be a really good day. I, I've been dying for, like, some form of AA stat cast data, but AAA is definitely a, a step in the right direction. Um, and so, yeah, no, I mean, uh, Max, I'd let you take, out, take the next question here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, kind of going off of that, like, you talked about introduction of Hawkeye and st- stat cast data and everything. If you could have access to, you know, teams have more data than we do. We all know that and be great to have that information. If you could have access to just a little bit of that information, what things would you value to help you in your analysis? And what things would you, you know, value just to like know and be like, ooh, that's cool? Uh, So it's probably two things and they're kind of related. Um, One, like they keep writing is going to be available on Savant too and I check every day and I'm disappointed every day it's not there is bat speed um I mean you can kind of like reverse engineer that from exit velocities but I still want it the accurate stuff (laughs) um but the more interesting one that I think would be more useful and more I could do more exploration with is contact point like relative to home plate um Eno Saris I think you've had on before he he's has a piece I, I look at all the time in like 2016 or 17 or something where it's talking about home runs are out in front of the plate where most home runs occur 12 to 24 inches in front of home plate. And I just, I think you could read so much into a guy's approach and maybe like their pitch recognition and what they're trying to do at the plate. If you just had access to like where they are making contact on average or pitch by pitch, uh, when they're swinging, you could you just you could learn so much about that that hitter, and even about pitchers too. Like how many you know are guys making contact deeper in the zone against them? Are they fooling guys more? That kind of thing. Be just really interesting to look at. That would be, you could do a lot with that information because you could also figure out you know is there a translation to contact point and spray angle and then hard hit rate and all this other stuff. And you could r- run correlations and everything to figure out, all right, 
who's doing this well and what do they have in common? Exactly. Yeah. You could like, just, you know, guys like Isaac or Isak Paredes, you know, you're seeing, uh, right. seeing that a lot in the last couple of days, um, you know, is pulling the fly balls like he does is that sticky, that kind of thing. You can try to figure that kind of thing out. Like, is he able to constantly get, get his bat head out in front of there against like 95 plus or something? Is he going to be able to keep doing that? That kind of thing would just be really, really interesting to get my hands on. Yeah. I remember, I think it was the, uh, is it like Bleacher Nation or something had that article about Paredes because Morosi said he was available and he was, they were trying to see if he was a fit in the Cubs and they were like, Oh, kind of worried because his ex-woba is significantly lower than his woba and it was just well he pulls home runs a lot like that's that's what he does right it and he and it was a question of well is that a skill or is that luck i would lean towards skill but as you said with contact point you could actually answer that question exactly and and that's not to like discredit expected stats or something they definitely have their place and being concerned about that is probably valid because I think it is more of a higher a high wire act to pull off as a hitter than just like being able to hit a ball 118 miles an hour. Like that's not going away. But if you can't always get your bat head out there or you go to a bad park, like God forbid, if he somehow ended up on the Orioles or something, he's on yeah. is probably is no longer like a starter in the major leagues at that point or something. Um, so yeah, like it's, I just really, really wish we had access to that. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, Paredes is obviously a player that we can like, there's a reason why he's good despite the stat cast data, but a player that is probably the most controversial free agent on the market is Cody Ballinger. He is a guy who does not hit the ball very hard, who does not have like the Isak Paredes, like incredible pulled fly ball rates. What do you think he'll end up getting on this market? And what would you give him in free agency if you were the GM of a team and you had to make an offer? That's a really good question. So Bellinger is just really interesting because I did think he was going to rebound. Um, last year, I went on you know, effectively wilds with a bunch of other analysts, and we just did a Cody Bellinger podcast. And all of us were in agreement pretty much that like if he was healthy, he could he could get back to the MVP level. And it's funny that he was so good because this past year, because he wasn't anything like he was when he won MVP. Um, Mike Petriello just wrote a really good article. Uh, about that where you know he's in like 10th percentile and hard hit rate and stuff it's just like how much do you want to bet on that going forward but this the free agent market the way it is he's like pretty clearly the second best position player after Rotani, even with all those questions so he's gonna get paid um he might get or exceed 200 million i wouldn't want to be the gm that gives him that I, I think he should, I would probably try to sign him for something like what Brandon Nimmo got, because I think that's the shape of production that you're going to get out of Cody Bellinger going forward. Like, I don't think he's going to slug 500 if he hits the ball the way he did, but he's going to be a very good player just because of how good he is in center field, and he's just like, he doesn't strike out now. He's pretty good. Um, so yeah, he's, I mean, there's, I can see why everyone could be up or could be down on him. That's why. We've probably had more discussions about Cody Ballinger than any other free agent on this podcast because we we've asked a bunch of people and everyone's consensus is I have no idea, and it's true. Like it's just he's hard to figure out. The way I phrase it is for every green flag, there's several red flags. Right. 
Like he cut down the strikeout rate, but it came at the cost of a lot of quality of contact. And and you just don't know if he's going to get that back or not. Like he's like hitting right. the ball like Geraldo Perdomo level. Like that's like kind of concerning. It's, but also we know he should be capable of a lot more. I don't, right. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's funny when fans are who who clamor to sign him are like he's got an MVP and it's like well he's not. Last year he was right. He's not anything like that anymore. And it's more of a question of like, do they think he can get back there? I'd be, I mean, I'd be really surprised if he could, but is this version of him good again? I I don't, I I don't know. I I can't figure it out. It, it bothers me how much I can't figure it out. Actually. I think he's a, he's an interesting case study in like, uh, you see with like like hall of famers in all the sports when they start off at like a prodigious talent level like they have like a slower decline it's because they're like starting off from such a high level you know so like if you're starting off from an mvp talent like he was in 2019 and i think he's had rib and shoulder injuries since then and if let's say he's like lost some of that raw power that he had he still was starting off from such a skilled point that, like, even when he leveled off and lost some of that, he still can, is capable of being like a really good player. You just don't know if he can get back to that peak, and if this year was like how much of this year was good luck and <laughs> that kind of thing. It's it's been frustrating. I mean, but you know what could help answer this? Contact point. Exactly. <laughs> Bring it all. Finding Yankee Stadium would help him too. It it is kind of funny how like Ryan and I said this like the 2023 version of Cody Bellinger is exactly the kind of player the Yankees could use, right? But but that 2023 version nobody knows is sustainable or not, and the Yankees are not really in a position where they can take that kind of risk. Like they need more sure things because yeah, their their lineup has I I would say two hitters that you can rely on at the moment, like. You know what Judge is going to give you, and you know what Glaber is going to give you for the most part. And then everybody else, like Rizzo is coming off a concussion. DJ is just getting old. Stanton is not looking like a major league caliber player. And, you know, Trevino was great in 2022 and then injured in 2023. Were the offensive, you know, strides he made in 2022 legit? Well, we can't really answer that because he played basically a whole season hurt. Is Austin Wells the future there? I mean, I believe in him, but he's still a rookie. Anthony Volpe was not good in 2022. Like, they have all these guys who are, in theory, could be really good. And it took a lot going wrong for them to be in the position that they were in. But, like, they need more sure things, you know. But the 2023 version of Bellinger is, does fit that team extremely well. And it's it's hard to ignore that. Yeah, I don't think you might... A lot, of, a lot of smoke out there about Soto. I think that might be the way to go. I yeah. I mean, it sounds like I'm not trying to get my hopes up too much, but it's like it's it's approaching like when not if territory kind of kind of deal. But we'll see. Go back to back. Oh my god, dude, that would be crazy. Remember I, the remember the Prince Fielder Ryan Braun days? <laughs> yeah. I would do anything for a Dominican superstar in the New York Yankees. Like I would do anything, absolutely anything. Like, I would sell my soul. Like I, I would do anything. Like I, I mean, like I, the the best, like the the most iconic Red Sox like core includes like three 
Dominican guys who are considered like the, the core of that team. And like, that is like, like, I'm a Yankee fan. Like, of course, like deep down, I'm like that rubs me the wrong way, man. You know what I mean? Like I, I want, I want my own, like I want mine. And, and Juan Soto, like, look, I, I think also from the perspective of like, just talking about like outcomes, variance, everything like that, you kind of hinted at this with like talking about Hall of Famers. There just isn't a reasonable outcome where Juan Soto is bad at baseball, right? Like that I think is so important when you're talking about acquiring a superstar and, and acquiring that caliber of talent, right? Um, where it's just like, you never have to worry about that player next year being, unless like, an, uh, barring an unforeseen injury, if they're healthy and they're playing, they will immediately impact your team in a way that most left fielders can't. And they have a really bad left field group. Like, it's bad out there. Uh, I like Everson Pereira, but like, you mentioned like, look, there are guys with good raw power skills, but if they can't put bat on ball to a certain degree, it's not going to work. And he's at that territory right now. And then, I mean, they like, just got rid of Jake Bowers, who... Left fielder by name, not really by, uh, you know, defensive abilities. It's just not pretty out there. Uh, Juan Soto would certainly make it a lot prettier. Pereira is a guy that, like, uh, my, when I look at the quality context, stuff, he really just pops off the charts. He's also really good in, in seeker metri- metrics, too. It's just, like, is is the bat to ball there? <laughs> Can he put enough balls into play for this to work? Yeah, no. I think I'm pretty sure he graded out with like I think I remember like coming like when he came up uh in mid-August, the question was gonna be was gonna chase too much, and it just wasn't an issue, surprisingly. Like I, I was pretty shocked by that. Um, but uh my last questions were kind of like, you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna just keep throwing uh, you know, very analytical questions at you. And I've kind of had a theme of doing this uh with every guest where I just I, I make the last question a little more about baseball or just in a sense of like uh as a fan or whatever it may be. As a Phillies fan, what would you say is your first or more impo- most important core memory watching the team growing up? Uh, well, first, uh, the first thing I remember getting like really excited about was the Jim Tomei signing, which like they were really bad for a while, and that kind of like put them on the map. And then like right after that or around then is when like Rollins, Utley, and Howard came up, um, which was obviously like the best time. <laughs> that I have been a Phillies fan was during that period and the most important um I mean the World Series was cool but like I the Roy Halladay no hitter in perfect game I remember more vividly than any of those World Series games and those were just really really cool especially the the no hitter in the playoffs that was insane like I remember watching every pitch of that just wild could have been a perfect game too the the Roy Holiday no hitter. I still love that story that Joey Votto tells about it. Have you heard that story? I think I have. Yeah. Yeah. The I stepped out in the box and Holiday was like, "I wanted to kill you." Yeah. Next year at the All Star game, I think is when that they had that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it's a <laughs> great story. Uh, so that means since you are a Phillies, I'll, I'll ask my last question in a second. But uh, like Bobby Abreu and Chase Utley, I want them to be in. I'm a big Hall guy. Uh, myself uh, and i also would rather vote based on peak than like longevity mm-hmm. um and, like ali had like one of the best seven year peaks of any second baseman ever i would put david wright in the hall of fame too uh bobby abreu would go in like all all these injury prone or these guys who had their careers cut short by injuries like right and Ali should go in and then abreu just was he played in the wrong era to be properly appreciated like nowadays he would be as like an insane offensive talent back then didn't help he was playing in the steroid era where everybody was hitting like 
45 home runs. And this guy's just like, eh, I'm just getting on base like 42% of the time every year. Right, like, there's, he's got a career 390 on base percentage. Like, that's sick. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of lists out there that are like really the only guys that have like a thousand walks, a thousand steals, or something like that. And the average and odd base he does, and it's like him and Barry Bonds. Like there's there's a bunch of different ways you can you measure that. But when you're when you're the only guy in the same list as Barry Bonds, it's pretty. I think he did okay. One one would say, uh, big big Bobby Abreu for the Hall of Fame guy. That's not I. I was a big Scott Rowland guy that was spent many years trying to convince people to vote for Scott Rowland. Now I'm on the Bobby Abreu train. So I'm, I'm excited for him. Uh, I think, I think David Wright's going to be the next version of Scott Rowland where he just hangs around on the ballot and people are like, Oh, he, he should definitely be in. When you look at, when you look back at what he was doing, he should, he should probably be in. Maybe I'd have to, I, right now I'm, I'm, I'm leaning. No, I just like the peak I agree with is really good. It's just like, I don't think it's good enough to justify nothing outside of it. That's like true. That, that's that's how I feel about it. I, I, I can but, see that argument. It's, but I kind of feel bad because I think if he had stuck around for two more years, he probably would have been in. And yeah, that's I don't know that's where what you draw that line. That's what kind of gets me is like, it's it's like Dustin Madroya, right? When he comes up on the ballot, that's going to be kind of rough. Or if, did he already come up on the ballot? Or is he? I don't think he has yet. Right? No. He retired, I think, in 2019, not 20. Okay, so he's so next he's a year. year later, or maybe 2020. He's not this year, though. Like, that's another guy that's like, hey, man, if he played two or three more years, he's probably in. But he literally stopped because he couldn't play anymore. Like, physically yeah. could not do it. So it's tough. Like, it, they, it makes me think about it. But uh, my last question is, you know, you, you're, I love your work. You're really, really a tremendous writer. Like, what do you have? You know, what advice do you have for people who are looking to do the kind of analysis work that you do and, and write and everything? What advice would you give uh, to them? Um, just just put your stuff out there. For me, uh, a lot a lot of the problem you can getting getting off the ground was being like, this isn't you know you can be your own worst critic sometimes. It's just like this is garbage. What are you doing? You can't publish this. Don't put don't put this out there. Like you just got to get over that. Put it out there. Um, to do the exact stuff I do, which like there's many different ways to write about baseball and you don't have to do it from the like data side that I do. But if you want it to, to write that way, you also kind of have to get some kind of technical ability to work with and manipulate data, which is unfortunate. I don't want to just be like, eh, go, go learn to code. <laughs> like, uh, that's not, that's not advice I want to give. Um, but it's unfortunately it's a requirement if you want it to work in a front office you probably have to be able to do that too um, and if you wanted to to write about it using numbers then yeah you probably need to be able to do some kind of like data poll and calculation or something like that it, it helps a lot but number one get get your stuff out there get your name yeah i mean I, I, we've heard that be a consistent theme and it's it's nice to hear from you as well i mean you just kind of Put your stuff out there and hope all it takes is one person to see it too. Like I know several front offices love to patrol Twitter. They love it. They're so into it. Yeah. Or if it's not a front office, um, I, I published stuff on like a WordPress for a while and I had one piece that went off and then I had like the editor of baseball prospectus emailing me like, Hey, you want to, do you want to write a little bit more like this? It's like, Okay. <laughs> 
wouldn't happen if I didn't if I didn't publish it and put it out there. It also allows public feedback too. Like you can get better that way. Like you can learn different ways to to change the way not only that you write, but also can people can give you advice on the way to pull data and everything. Maybe make your process a little simpler and stuff. And yeah, it's there's a lot of as much as like Twitter is terrible and the CEO of Twitter telling advertisers that dropped them to, to, to do terrible things to themselves. Uh, and it, it sucks, but there are a lot of people out there who act like genuinely have their, like your best interest at heart and they like want, want to help you out, especially, uh, and the people at baseball perspective seem to seem to definitely be up that you guys got a great crew over there, man. I agree. I agree. Like, Jared's great. Craig is great. Jeff is great. We just, we just brought on a couple other, Working on, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just brought my buddy Ben onto the prospect team. You should, you should get him on here. He's, yeah, he's Ben. Ben is uh, is is a potential guest of the future. Definitely, I love Ben. He's so funny. Guy, guy's hilarious. Yeah, Ben's great. He, I uh, co-manage a couple fantasy teams with him every year, so we, we kind of pool each other's knowledge. Although we we kind of think about the game the exact same way, so I'm not sure we gain a lot. From, <laughs> I was from, just about uh, to say, I mean, you guys have very similar takes. Is, the, yeah. is there any, like, hey, I like this guy. Oh, I like that guy, too. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's not a little... The biggest disagreements we have are, like, this guy should be going, like, five picks higher than he actually is, and I wouldn't do that. It's like That's, like, the biggest disagreement you have. You're not actually different at all. I have uh, one of my best friends from college. We we have this ongoing joke. It was like, when have we ever argued? Because we agree about basically everything, and so we never we never argue. And that sounds like you and Ben. That is exactly it. <laughs> I'd like to say I bring a lot of the like more of the emotion uh, of like a fan and like the in, like not in like a good. I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's a different perspective. <laughs> but I'm definitely a lot quicker to emotion. A lot quicker to like a lot more like uh you know. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely like I if I see a player, I'm like, you know what? The vibes are here, man. Like, yeah, no, this guy's good. Like, I love data. Like, I, I don't like I am very much like a big proponent of like data is king. Like, I think that, you know, most people try to overcomplicate like the fact that like it, you you just like most good decisions are, are backed by evidence. But if we're talking like the smallest of margins here, like you're asking me, do I think like Mitch Keller is going to be, you know, a 3-5 ERA or 3-8 ERA next year? I'm picking 3-5 because he pitches a lot of innings and I like him. That's why. You know what I mean? Like, that's my guy. You know what I mean? Um, He's got that dog in him. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, like he pitches innings. Like, you know what? Uh, or, or I think I tweeted out once. I was like, you're not an ace if you don't pitch 180 innings, which I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's an objective claim. But you know what? That's my rule of measurement. You know what? I need my moment. If you're going to be called an ace, I need you to pitch a ton. Like I need, and I know that there are some people who are like 180 innings isn't a lot in today's game. It is right with how hard everybody's throwing with how, with the pitch clock, everything like that. 180 innings is a ton. Like every, if Sandy Alcantara can get, can get Tommy John surgery. Everybody is like a giant walking question mark for getting hurt. Like the second he got hurt, I'm like, yeah, anybody can get hurt, whatever it may be. But um, 180 innings, that's my bar. And like, if you throw 180 more innings, I'm going to like you way more than everybody else. I, I like it. You got to plant flag somewhere. And I, I've heard people yeah. in the game say 180 is like the new 200 innings. So it's as good a place to draw the line as anywhere. Uh, before we let you go, Robert, pick one free agent and uh, give them to a team that you think people aren't talking about. Oh, man. Put me on the spot. I don't know. See, I'm, I'm actually trying to write a write an article to go up to my I was looking at uh free agents um 
I don't know what team he should go to because like I, all the free agents are pretty much like DHs or bad outfielders, like everyone that can hit. It's really rough out there. Except for like Matt Chapman and uh, Jammer Condelaro. But yeah. Yeah, and even like those guys are kind of risky too. Right, yeah, super. It's not a fun position player market at somebody, all. Somebody, yeah, but somebody I didn't realize was actually a free agent who who was really good in the second half, and I'm he's going to be in the article I write is uh, Garrett Cooper. Uh, was like extremely. I like good. Garrett Cooper a lot. He's I good. I don't know where he would fit. Like any team that needs a DH or a first baseman, uh, is probably get him. He was really annoying when he was in Miami. For years, I can like confirm that he's like really, really annoying to play against <laughs> or to watch him hit against your team. Um, and yeah, he's always got a little bit more thump than you think. Uh, so he'd be good. Yes, I think like seems like like the Dodgers should like sign Tim Anderson. He's gonna hit like 295, 310 or something. I just that's just gonna happen. It's exactly what I said. It's exactly what I said. I said it's he's gonna go to the Dodgers and it's uh it's going to work out for them. Like they're, it's they're too gonna... obvious. Yeah. yeah I, think they're just... better, I think they're better with the hitters than they are with the pitchers now, as far as reclamation projects go. And I, I think he's like next, he should be next on the list. I'm with that. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, look what they did with Jason Hayward, right? Like, they, I mean, they took a guy who basically people thought was, Oops. why are they giving him a contract? Right? Like they thought people, he, I mean, a lot of people said he should just retire. I, may or not have been one of them but uh <laughs> like they are really good with hitters i mean they they're really into what you said like the contact point bat path stuff like they're like really deep into that stuff so if they think they can fix somebody on the offensive side i'm i'm inclined to believe them so i like that tim anderson's the dodgers or garrett i do like garrett cooper too when the yankees traded him to the marlins i think was he a part of the he wasn't a part of the Stanton deal, was he? I think he was, was part, part of the Michael of, King trade. He was a part of the Michael King trade. Yeah. Oof. What, dude? Yeah, not a not a good uh, off season for the Marlins Yankees trades. Uh, for, for from the Marlins perspective, I mean, I guess the Stanton one didn't work out super great for the Yankees either. But you know, uh, but I I remember being like, I like this guy. He can he can hit a little bit. Um, ne- the power has never been like outright amazing, but. I've always thought there was more in there than he was uh, producing. So maybe, maybe somebody can get it out of him, but yeah, the Dodgers are going to turn into a one, like 25 <laughs> plus hitter. Like he's just going to, he's going to like increase. He's going to hit more fly balls. He's going to start hammering the ball. Um, he's going to have like a 125 WRC plus and then go for like 0 for 15 in the postseason and then lose to like an 84 win, like yeah, an 84 win, like giants team or something like that. Like I, that's, that's just the story of the Dodgers right now. I don't know how to put it. I was going to say he's going to go to Atlanta and be Matt Olson's backup and, you know, just, just annoy Rob even more. <laughs> hey, we've, I've enjoyed the last two playoff series against the Atlanta. That's all I'm going to say. That's, that's true. I, I felt like it wasn't that hot of a take to say they were going to beat Atlanta this year though. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was every Braves fan I, I talked to expected it, honestly, <laughs> which that, I don't know what was going on with them in the second half where they the, soured on that team. But. Yeah, they they turned into like a bunch of Frank Flemings. It was weird. Like they just they got all down on their team. Like their pitching was pretty decimated at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm not denying that. I mean, they did, they did start Bryce Elder in a playoff game. Like, I was at that great. game. Were you really good for you? Yeah. That ball Harper hit. Oh my god. It got out of heart. Demolished. Um. 
Now, what was better, uh, the Roy Holiday uh, no-hitter or Harper swing of your life? I would have to say I f- that's a tough call, man. The swing of your life sent him to the World Series, so that's probably that's probably it. But it's also a great call. It's so good. Oh, I love Joe Davis now. Joe Davis. So, what is that? I think that's uh, two weeks in a row that we've talked about that call, Ryan. Is that is that true? We talked about it with yeah. Max, didn't we? Yeah. Yes, we did. Oh man, it was such a such a good it's call. The Joe Davis Appreciation Podcast. Here. Seriously, I get we gotta get Joe Davis on at this point. We keep praising him all the time. The podcast of your life. <laughs> well, Rob, I as I said, I have deeply enjoyed your work. You are a very, very gifted writer. And if you have any aspirations of working in the front office, I know you will absolutely crush it because you are extremely bright and very kind and uh, a very funny man as well. I want to congratulate you on your personal life. Uh, uh, your proposal was extremely well done after you told us where you went. That That's crazy, dude. Good for you, man. Uh, but congratulations on that as well. I wish you a bunch of continued success. And uh, I hope our friendship continues to grow from here. Sam, you, you, you're too kind. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks to both of you. Of course. Uh, Enjoyed we, it. We were certainly super happy to have you on. And uh, we will be right back after this. Yep. Resume. And we are back. Ryan, we just had Rob Orr, Baseball Prospectus, on. And it was a really fun conversation i'd say two weeks in a row with guests that we've had pretty funny conversations and everything but we also kind of talked about the phillies and everything and what he thinks they need to do his feelings on aaron nola and also kind of his process behind creating his uh, statistic seeger and you know what he kind of looks for in terms of analyzing next year yeah you know uh he he got to kind of give us a, a a deep dive into what his process looks like when looking at players uh some of the things that he pays attention to really talked about quality of contact as well alongside obviously swing decisions um he talked even about like his initial trials that trying to create a swing decision metric he uh you know had that uh, initial I don't know what I don't think he gave us a name for what that metric was, but he tried it out. And it just didn't correlate the way he wanted it to. Um, talking about the Phillies was interesting because, uh, you know, I, I thought that he gave a very nuanced perspective on Aranola and, and kind of like, you know, that the Phillies kind of needed to bring him back concerning the thing he does, which is pitch a ton. And we actually talked about this a little bit towards the end where it's like 180 is the new 200, right? Like I'm being able to just throw innings is more valuable than it's ever been. Uh, pitchers are like, there is, I think there is a less sure uh, certainty that guys can pitch through an entire season now than there's ever been. And if the short, if the uh, pitch clock gets shortened again, um, there'll be even a greater sense of uncertainty. So uh, I, I do think you needed to bring back Aaron Nola if you're the Philadelphia Phillies, barring potentially getting Yoshinobu Yamamoto, which I don't think was happening. I think that they signed him knowing that that probably wasn't going to happen. And look, like Yamamoto is going to be one hell of a, of a contract to sign. And, you know, that could have precluded them maybe from signing Zach Wheeler or from going out and addressing what they need. You talk about right-handed hitters who can be, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, a little more patient. You talked about kind of like the issues they were having with Castellanos and kind of like sometimes it can be up and down um, and other right-handed hitters on the team, which I, I think is uh, more than fair to mention. So, um, y- you know, ultimately, Max, I-, I just thought it was a really good conversation that allowed us to get um, behind the scenes of his thought process. Yeah, I mean, he, it's interesting, you know, he kind of talked about how his, his first kind of step is evaluating the quality of contact. And I think, if you're not doing that, 
you're going about it wrong. Like, I, I think he's absolutely right in that that's the first step is, like, if you don't make, as he said, like, it's like not shooting threes in the NBA. Like, it's just a math problem. If you don't make good enough quality of contact, if you don't have enough power, it's hard to be good. Like, it, as we've talked about before, it just limits your ceiling. There's only, Luis Arias can only be so good because of the way he can put the bat on the ball and, and control it and everything. Um, but if you can't make that kind of power, it's, it's, it's difficult to be good. And so he kind of looks at, all right, who, who makes, who's doing more. He has a statistic called damage as well. And, you know, probably looks into that, like, all right, who's doing more damage. And then he checks, then he checks for, you know, quantity of contact is what he said. And yeah, it's, are you swinging and missing a lot? And if you are swinging and missing a lot, is it like, concerning swinging and missing a lot right you know as he said like 40 percent whiff rates on off-speed stuff um you know we kind of talked about everson Pereira as, as a guy who like you know he's still young but you know there are concerns there of, of, in his offensive profile and everything that you know he's a guy that stands out um spencer jones is also kind of fitting into that category well if you want to stick with the yankees guys um then you know you kind of find your guys from there and everything I did think it was funny that you picked the Cardinals to win the World Series. I, I also picked them to uh, win the division as well. So we're we're together on that. Uh, terrible call. Um, but, you know, <laughs> fun just conversation about the Cardinals in general there. That was just, I mean, again, we'll talk about it on Sunday or when the episode releases on Monday. Uh, but, like, weird pitching decisions and everything. Um, it was also interesting to, you know, you know, kind of hear him have his thoughts about Reese Hoskins and Hoskins is extremely reliable and how that is kind of what the Phillies need. And the Cubs also kind of fit that need as well. Um, and it, I, I liked his call on free agent pick because he picked Tim Anderson of the Dodgers, which, you know, I said the same thing and, you know, it's, you know, great minds, right. You know, it makes me feel good when somebody smart says something that I agree with. Uh, but also, um, I thought it was, you know, it's good to acknowledge your mistakes and everything like that. And uh, I thought the point that stood out most in this conversation was that the data point he would really like is contact point, where they're making contact in terms of relative to the plate. I, I agree with him. I think you can answer a lot of questions about hitting that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that would be a really fascinating uh, piece of information to get. Now, I do wonder if there's a way to... Like, StatCast search is weird. Now, I'm not going to say, actually, now that I think about this out loud, if there was a way to find it through, like, StatCast search and, like, some weird, odd measurement system, Rob would have found it already, right? Like, he definitely- Probably, right? 100% yeah. 100% found it already. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe speculating, huh? I wonder if there's a way to do it through StatCast. Yeah, he, he would have found it already. But definitely would have been, would be an excellent piece of data uh, to have. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it was interesting. We actually even had a conversation with, uh, 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 you know, with Max Bay talking about, like, you know, how important it is to kind of filter out certain pieces of data and, and figure out which ones correlate well and which ones don't. Um, and-, and uh, yeah, no, I, I just thought overall it was a very interesting conversation that allowed us to kind of see what he values, uh, what, you know, are some, what was some of the thought process that went behind the swing decision metric. I thought it was interesting that he mentioned like Emmanuel Rivera as a guy who just had really good swing decisions that stood out, um, or Bryson Stott as a guy who stood out in the opposite direction. Um, 
And he kind of talked about like, you know, yeah, like Rivera does not have any like much raw power at all. There's not like 20 to 30 home run potential there. Um, but if you're really, really good at swing decisions, you kind of stick, right? Like there is a team that's going to say, hey, hopefully you just run into the, you know, the outcome where you make enough contact. And if anywhere Rivera actually got off to a pretty good start, if you remember, he just cooled off. Um, but uh, you kind of hinted at, uh, talk about Luis Arise a little bit there. Uh, and you're talking about like, there's only so, there's only so much you can do as that type of hitter. If Luis Arise is the best it gets for contact hitters, I mean, is he a top 10 hitter in baseball? Like, do you think he's a true talent top tenner? I, I would say, yeah, I'd, I'd argue no, right? Like, there are, and think of all the guys who absolutely just destroy the baseball and tee off on the baseball, right? Those type of guys are the ones that are sustainably towards the top of the league, right? You think of the best guys that just doing damage. It's the Shohei Otanis, the Ronald Acuna Juniors, the Aaron Judges of the world, the Jordan Alvarez's, right? Uh, you know, Bryce Harper, um, guys like that, they... Every single year, they are one of the best players in baseball. They are MVP candidates, right? Who's the last, like, who do you think is the last MVP winner, like, to be just, like, not a dude who can crush the baseball, like, in recent memory? Like, I don't, like, you think Ichiro is one of the first guys that pop up to, to your brain, but that's, like, 2001, right? Like, that is, that is before I was alive, man. Like, there are not a lot of MVPs that are straight up just, like, did not, or at least in recent memory that just don't straight up destroy the baseball. And people can argue that that's all oh, well, it's because voters like home runs and that's what's attractive or whatever. No, it's because that's what gets you the best results. I'm sorry. Like gotta be able to do damage in this league. Here's, here's what I'll say to kind of go off on that point. The, so the top five in barrels per PA this year uh, among qualified hitters, Aaron judge, Ron Acuna, Shoyo Tani, Gordon Alvarez, Corey Seager. I think you could very well make the case that those are the five best hitters in baseball. Yeah. Also, I found, I think, the hitter that would qual. Nope, not even. I was going to say Joe Maurer, but he had 28 home runs in his MVP year. So uh, the year that he hit 28 home runs was his best season. I Looking through this list, it literally, Dustin Perjoy, I think, even in 2008, had pretty good home run numbers. Didn't he have like 26 home runs that year? He had 17 that, that year, which okay. not great. He might be, he is the, you know what, he is He's the last probably guy. guy, yeah. But 2008, like in 2008, like I was in preschool, like I, I'm going to just, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you've got to hit bombs to, to, uh, to, to be upper echelon, you know, like MVP top of the market type player. We're going to ignore the fact that you just said you were in preschool in 2008 and how that makes me feel. Um, because boy, does that not make me feel good? Um, <laughs> <laughs> 2000, apologize. 2000, yeah, 2008 being in preschool. Um, awesome. But Justin Majori also won an MVP that you could argue that maybe he didn't deserve. Um, again, it's funny. We we're just talking about Justin Majori and David Wright and everything like that. Uh, you should go into the Hall of Fame because he's 5'9. That's, that's the end. Yeah, he's 5'9, so he should be a Hall of Famer. He deserves right. his MVP because he's 5'9. Yeah. Representation for short people. Let's go. Um, Ryan, uh, we are looking at the winter meetings coming up next week. We'll give a preview of that in our next episode. This was a great conversation with uh, Rob, and it was super fun. And we got some seam-shifted takes that we'll get into next episode as well. We'll also recap some of the signings and, and kind of give you guys a preview of three new teams. And we're going to do the Buck Stops Here segment as well. So if you're a fan of some teams that are in the depths of the offseason, you're probably going to want to listen to next episode when we try and make some moves for them but 
Uh, Ryan, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, to our listeners, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with uh, Rob today, and I hope you continue to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and uh, we will see you in a couple of days. Thank you.